Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Run, oh, kitties, you're in for a treat. Both Matt and I are not in good moods. So I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to talk about Good Boys, which is the big uh, comedy hit of the summer, maybe, produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. You know, the guys that did Super Bad and all the other funny stuff. Well, this time we have a bunch of kids, pre-tweens, saying all those dirty, dirty things. I'm going to share my thoughts about The Kitchen, which is a new crime noir thriller thing that's headed by Tiffany Haddish, Melissa McCarthy, and Elizabeth Moss. In the beginning of our French New Wave Marathon, now see now it's starting to feel bad because Matt was not the biggest cheerleader of this marathon. And if we're both particularly not in great moods tonight, I'm curious to see how this, something he does not want to, uh, Matt, at least it's not the musical marathon, which I think you've, you know, you threatened to almost quit over. That's true. I have, yes. And then finally, we were going to do five best double features, but we pocketed that because a lot of news dropped in the last 24 to 48 hours. So we're going to talk about that instead. So let's start off all the festivities with a clip from the good boys. God damn it. This is a really pretty CPR doll. I guess I'll go first. Stop! What are you doing? Kissing her? You can't kiss someone without their permission. Remember from assembly? Pretend it's Brixley. Try to be a gentleman. Okay. Brixley, can I kiss you? Why? Why? Yeah. What do you like about me? Well, you're sweet. You smell good. You're smart, too. You always push Henry in his wheelchair, even though he's super mean. And just when I think I've got you figured out, you go ahead and start skateboarding. I consent. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home, I'm going to give you the easy one this week. What is Good Boys all about? It's about three friends um, who've grown up together, three best friends. They're just starting middle school, which I think in this particular case is sixth grade now. nowadays. Back in our day, it was seventh grade was when middle school started but it's six now um whoa, whoa, so they're whoa, going... whoa 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 pump the brakes middle school is six seven eight it wasn't for me would you what what hellscape mad maxi and dystopia did you go to grade school in uh simsbury <laughs> simsbury connecticut <laughs> oh okay all right here's the thing so now all right now i know you're you're, you're i don't know if you're lying or you're just um stupid misinformed um, uh-huh. because Mrs. First Run grew up in Simsbury as well. Okay. From what I understand, it sixth grade was still considered middle school. It's just that it started. It, it was they held it in a different place because the the classrooms were so it was so crowded. Technically middle school, but it's the, the, I think it took place at the grade school. Well, at my grade school. My elementary school, it was it was kindergarten through six. It didn't make any distinction that six was middle school. And then we went to Henry James. The junior high school was only seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, I believe that's what the issue was. So I'm, I'm surprised because Simsbury is supposed to have a really good education system there. But clearly they <laughs> failed it. Obviously, they're as backward as, as something like, you know, what, Mississippi or something? That's Yeah, or where <laughs> I am now. So why don't we – all right, so I don't mean to derail you. I just felt that was an extremely important point that I had to make. <laughs> so go ahead, continue. Kids, something, go. 
yeah. Yeah, so uh, three best friends. They have grown up together. They are going to sixth grade, middle school, and getting all of the pressures, starting to, you know, have uh, develop interest in girls. And they get invited to, or at least one of them gets invited to a quote-unquote kissing party or a party where girls will be. So they decide to try and figure out what they're supposed to do. And a comedy of errors ensues after that. My question for you, Matt. Is Good Boys the Laugh Riot comedy of the summer, or have we finally gone too far? I get, like, hot dogs and buns doing it in an animated <laughs> film. I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. But kids and sex toys, and I mean a lot, a lot of sex toys. Lots of jokes at the expense of adult fare. Mm-hmm. Were you uncomfortable at all, especially you being a father yourself? Were you okay with all that? Yeah, you know what? It didn't really bother me. Obviously, I like the fact that, you know, as kids, they've snooped into their parents' stuff. They have, they know where everything is. Now, they don't know what it is. Um, they're still too innocent. They think they're weapons or, or things of that nature. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have a problem with that. But at the same time, um, I wouldn't say that this film is the laugh out loud film of the summer. It barely garnered, it garnered some polite chuckles from me. And I, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't think it was particularly funny. And the audience I was with, uh, I think they agreed. It wasn't very, it's was pretty quiet in that theater. That's interesting. How, how packed was your theater? It was pretty full. I went on a Monday night, I think. And it was, uh, it was, it was full for a late show. So. Tremblay's in this, Jacob Tremblay, who is fantastic in a little film called Room, which Brie Larson won an Academy Award for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 12. Now I'm not moralizing here. I just want to point out that I know for a fact that he's 12. Well, the other two can't be much older. I wouldn't imagine. I don't know. I I went back and forth on this. Now I'm by no means a prude. I mean, I, I I've I've had lots of experience, and uh, I just feel that um I don't know. It's, I just I don't know. It was it was weird. I felt a little weird about it because I personally was laughing a lot. I went on a Tuesday night, which is cheapy night, and my theater was packed. Was I it? I think it may have even sold out. It was okay. a large auditorium, and people were laughing a lot and laughing very hard. A few times, people laughed so much that I had trouble hearing the next joke or the next punchline. Okay. Um, I don't know if also maybe that is an issue, just they didn't have the volume up high enough. I don't know. I, I Though I did find it pretty funny. I laughed out loud quite a bit. I have some other issues with this film. I feel that it's it felt hastily assembled to me. Right, it felt like it kind of really jumps into things very quickly, and there's no real setup in this whatsoever. And I just don't know. It just kind of felt slapped together for me a little bit. And and, and the whole thing, I feel like they just were just created so we can have a bunch of crude jokes delivered by pre-tweens. There, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say the kids are necessarily um, improv masters, obviously, but it still had that kind of feel, and I think. You're right. It almost feels like there are writers on on set at all times, like constantly writing new jokes, and they would just film a bunch of different scenes of them saying different things and then putting it together in the editing room. How'd you feel, too? I thought Tremblay was good, but Brady Noon, who played Thor, and Keith Williams as Lucas, they were a little hit and miss with me. Now, they're kids, right? so I'm not going to hold it against them. But I don't know. Do you have any issues there? uh not really i mean i deliveries no yeah i mean they were i mean they were about what i expected i mean even tremblay in some cases he basically 
you know, he had the same look on his face throughout the entire thing. Um, he true. had, he had no, he had, he had one, he had one mode and he stuck with it throughout the entire film. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was okay with it. I think, you know, seeing the trailer, I knew what I was in for. So um, I was just a little disappointed. I expected it to, it to be funnier than I did. Maybe I'm just joyless, Chris. That could be it. That could be it. Yeah. You're, you're not a very enjoyable person. No, I'm not at all. I did, I did though, I personally enjoyed Will Forte as Max's dad. He was funny, yeah. And then Sam Richardson as the cop in the convenience store. I love Sam yeah. Richardson. He was funny, so too. That was well worth watching. I love you, but just understand, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I don't really don't know what else to say. I mean, I personally found it to be pretty amusing most of the time. I thought for the most part it worked. It just felt very amateurish at times, mm-hmm. which, you know, was a little disappointing. But overall, I think it, it's it's well worth checking out. I don't think you need to rush out to the theater to see this, Matt. Yeah. But it's it's enjoyable enough for me. Would you, uh, do you have anything else you want to add to it? No, I mean, it's just, although it is interesting to see them try to kind of with the climate of the day and kind of how society is kind of slowly changing its perspective. It's, it's funny how they're trying to make this kind of raunchy, I hesitate to say sex comedy, but kind of a, you know, a, a, a ribald comedy that's raunchy with kids in it, but how to, how they've kind of interweave some of the excise, some of the more problematic elements that you would still see in those films as recently as like five years ago. Yeah. And I did appreciate too, some of the uh, relationship stuff with Jacob Tremblay's character. And then, some of the women he likes, like Millie Davis, is Brixley, right? I, I, and then how they, how they kind of resolve that later on in the film, I thought was yeah. rather amusing. <laughs> so I, I did identify with those moments. I actually remembered kind of going through all of that and the sheer terror of kissing a girl for the first time. You know, right. it's going through your head, and my God, am I going to get that right? Also, too, Will Rell and Retta, who played uh, Lucas's parents. Yeah, I, I would like to almost see a whole different movie with the three of them as a family. That I th- I would really enjoy that. I just love all those. I just love both of them, and I liked Keith Williams as Lucas. Like I said, I felt maybe some of the lines, some of it was kind of amateurish, but I blame that more on the film than I do maybe the particularly those two kids' performances. But every sure. time that air horn went off and Lucas would scream, you know, when they're in, the, it's, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff in here that I th- that worked for me. That's all. I just, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's fine. It's fine. It's fine, guys. So what would you give this great? Let's wrap this up. What uh what would you give this sucker? I think I'm gonna give good boys a B minus. Yeah, even though you had better praise, I'm I'm right there with you. I think B minus is, is right. Good. Well, I guess I'm on the lower end of the B minus scale. Right. <laughs> so mine's a ninety three, you're more of a ninety one. There you go. That's, that's, that's an A, that's an a yeah, minus. Yeah. That's an A minus where I come from. I'm an 83. I'm an 80. You, you're an 80? Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. A minus. See, I guess my schooling wasn't too good either. <laughs> good boys. Nothing to do with dogs. If you had a chance to see the film, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Matt, I also got to see the adaptation of a Vertigo crime thriller. Did you know it was a Vertigo? DC Comics adaptation? I did. I did. I remember seeing that in the flash during the preview. So let's hear a little something from the kitchen. Times change. You do what you gotta do. From kids. Most employers don't want mothers. It's a competitive market. You don't know me. For money. 
you survive. Now might be the time. For what? For you. Our husbands have 24 months left on their sentences. Sorry, baby. This is the Irish mob, organized crime. We're gonna take care of you. You girls are gonna be just fine. We got no money. Can't even make the rent with what they gave me last night. They didn't want me in the family in the first place. 40 years we pay protection and we don't get nothing for it. They have been telling us forever that we are never gonna do anything but have babies. Bunch of men that have forgotten what family means. So we remind them. And boy, do they ever. So, Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, and Elizabeth Moss play three women whose husbands have been incarcerated after a robbery goes bad. The remaining members of this Irish mob in Hell's Kitchen, Matt, are slacking off. They're not doing a great job collecting the protection money. They're just slowly losing their neighborhood to other other organized crime outfits. So, they just, three of them decide to stand up and take it over themselves. And it doesn't work. This thing is, it just, the whole thing falls apart. And I don't know exactly what the problem is. It felt like in this kitchen, Matt, someone's cooking fish in the microwave. (laughs) There are some neutered twists in this film that when they show up, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, well, that's dumb. They sanitize the female empowerment. It almost feels like it's too too focused on that, but never really delivers it in an interesting and exciting way. And it's odd in a film that's so focused and centralized on violence and in this kind of this is crime setting. But it it's just it's entirely flat. And every time they try and goose it with some action or or introduce some character turn, at no point do you care. There's no emotional investment in this thing whatsoever. Elizabeth Moss, who plays one of the wives, has an interaction with Domino Gleason, who plays this guy who is like kind of a, a heavy in the gang, and he had to go lay low after some big event. Now he's back, and he's helping out the, the, the women. And the two of them kind of provide us some interesting scenes, and they have pretty good chemistry together. But in the end, every every time we, we turn the page or get another chapter, it's just it just doesn't work. And Haddish and McCarthy, too... I, Haddish is, is like saddled, Matt, with these these kind of one-liners and these little things. Like, just like you heard in that trailer, we're now going to remind them. You know, there's a lot of that in here. Just, just subpar writing and some really poor line delivery. And I don't think it's on them. I think it's more, it's it's all in the script. And she's, you know, harnessed with having to deliver this, this these slightly comedic moments, but also present herself as this badass. And it's just, it all just... Sound, feels so rote and flat and unoriginal, which is too bad because conceptually, I love the whole idea of this, but it's just exceptionally poorly executed, and it's it's a shame. It really, really is. I know you were thinking you were looking forward to seeing this, Matt, too, right? So yeah, I was. Uh, I thought it was going to be pretty good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, Vertigo puts out good crime material. Um, you know, Melissa McCarthy, I can take her leave most of the time. Elizabeth Moss is is really good um, usually, so I'm a little disappointed. I thought it could rise above, but it doesn't sound like it did. Not at all. Unfortunately, the kitchen too, I think right now, Rotten Tomatoes is at 22%. And my rating would be right with it, Matt. I'm uh, giving this a D plus, I guess, wow. on the strength, at least of Elizabeth Moss. That's the best I can do. It's 
There is a moment, I don't want to ruin it for you if you ever watch it, but there is a moment near the end of the film where there's this big reveal, and I wanted to throw my seltzer at the screen. <laughs> I'm like, that is not even remotely earned. You know, they, they drop little hints, but it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's what she's doing. And in the end, they do this 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 little pop in you, and, and all you want to do is like, F you! How dare you? <laughs> Which is now the reaction you want to be you know, eliciting from your audience. The Kitchen is still playing in some theaters now. If you had a chance to see it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, it is a big week on Blu-ray and DVD, and there is a catalog film coming out on 4K that I am ridiculously excited for. Well, you see, Willard, this war, things get confused out there. Power, ideals, the old morality, and practical military necessity. But out there with these natives, it must be a temptation to be God. Because there's a conflict in every human heart between the rational and the irrational, between good and evil. And good does not always triumph. Sometimes the dark side overcomes what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. Every man has got a breaking point. You and I have them. Walt Kurtz has reached his. And very obviously, he has gone insane. So that is a clip from Francis Ford Coppola's absolute stone-cold classic film, Apocalypse Now. Coming out in 4K, Matt, it's a four-disc set. Includes the film's theatrical cut, the extended cut known as the Redux, and now the brand-new final cut that Coppola has assembled, basically wow. taking both films and putting together one final one. And it includes the Hearts of Darkness documentary, which is one of the greatest documentaries ever made. It's loaded with other additional special features, and one of them, Matt, which I am keen to see, is the Tribeca Film Festival Q&A, hosted by Steven Soderbergh with Francis Ford Coppola that has not previously been available for anybody outside of the festival itself. It has not been released in any form. There's also some brand new behind-the-scenes B-roll footage that has not been released previously. So now is the time to pick up that Apocalypse Now 4K. I'll definitely be double-dipping on this. I have this on Mm -hmm. Blu-ray. I I think I have it with the... Yeah, I had the theatrical cut and then the Hearts of Darkness. I saw the Redux in theaters, and I I I just don't think it improves on the film at all. But I have not seen the final cut. In fact, the final cut is playing locally here tonight. At seven thirty, I did not get a oh, chance okay. to do it. Unfortunately, go see it. Unfortunately, but anyway, I'm really excited to check that out. Also coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday, that is August twenty seventh. One of my favorite, maybe summer hits of this year, Godzilla: King of Monsters. If you get it from Best Buy, there's a steel book. They also have a three D combo exclusive there to Best Buy. 
There's a Dolby Vision HDR10 presentation of the film, Dolby Atmos soundtrack, audio commentary by the director, and a whole bunch of featurettes on the making of the film, focusing on the different monsters. So technology, Millie Bobby, Bobby Brown, Welcome to the Monsterverse, some deleted scenes, a whole bunch of stuff. So I will definitely be picking this up in 4K as well. The Elton John biopic Rocket Man. Let me ask you, Matt, would you buy Godzilla King of Monsters? I know you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Um, you know what? I probably would. It, if it got down to a certain price point, I probably would pick it up. Because there was enough in it that would still kind of be gee was fun to watch over. I'm glad to hear that. Going back to Elton John, Rocket Man is coming out. There's a Best Buy Steelbook for that as well. There's extended musical numbers, including an introduction by Dexter Fletcher. And you get to see the B is back because we don't swear around here. We're very PC. Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, Breaking Down the Walls of Heartache and Honky Cat. There are deleted and extended scenes as well, about 10 of them, and a whole bunch of other making of featurettes. And there's also a Rocket Man lyric companion where you get to sing along with select songs and a bunch of other stuff. The A24 film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Matt, we got to check off our A24 list to see this one. A young man with a big dream and a quirky best friend search for a home in the changing city that seems to have left them behind. Secret Life of Pets 2 is coming out. And again, a steelbook with Best Buy. Did you see uh, The Secret Life of Pets 2 with um, First Run Jr. there? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, her, her grandfather took her to go see it. I didn't okay. see it. Did she enjoy it? Do you recall? Yeah, she said she said she likes it, but she said she likes everything. So fair enough. Yeah, Killers Anonymous, a support group of killers, is held regularly. The participants sit in a circle of trust and share their transgressions. But it's got interesting cast: Matt, Gary Oldman, Jessica Alba, Suki Waterhouse, and Tommy Flanagan all star in this film. And then Matt, another movie we absolutely have to fit in in some capacity. It's going to hit sci-fi, I think, in about a month, but I think we're going to want to watch the theatrical, well, air quotes, theatrical version. I imagine it's not going to... I'm assuming the sci-fi version is going to have some cuts to it. Have you heard about the Banana Splits movie? Uh, No, I had no idea there was a Banana Splits movie. So a boy named Harley and his family, brother Austin, mother Beth, and father Mitch, they attend a taping of the Banana Splits TV show. Well, let me back up. Are you? Do you know what the banana splits are? You're younger. Yeah, I know what the banana splits are. Yeah. Okay. Now it's supposed to be a fun-filled birthday for young Harley, and business as usual for Rebecca, the producer of the series. But things take an unexpected turn, and the body count quickly arises. Can Harley, his mom, and their new pals safely escape? So something happens. So the banana splits characters are robots in this mm-hmm. film, and something happens, a la the Child's Play reboot. And they become murderous and start killing everybody. Sounds like Five Nights at Freddy's. So I think we absolutely have to check out the Banana Splits movie. New to Blu-ray, outside of the aforementioned Apocalypse Now, Criterion is releasing the Coker trilogy. Abbas Kiratstapat, I think I slightly nailed it, first came to international attention, Matt, for his wondrous, slyly self-referential series of films set in the rural northern Iranian town of Coker. Poised delicately between fiction and documentary, comedy and tragedy, the lyrical fables in the Coker trilogy, Matt, exemplify both the gentle humanism and playful sleight of hand that define the director's sensibility. The films featured in this set are Where is the Friend's Home, and Life Goes On, and Through the Olive Trees. All three films, Matt, have a new 2K digital restoration, a new audio commentary on Life Goes On featuring Merahan Saeed Fava 
and Jonathan Rosenbaum, who are co-authors of Abbas Kiratstami. And then a 1994 documentary, a couple new interviews and conversations as well. Criterion is also releasing The Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice. One of the ineffably lovably... What is with me tonight? You know what? It's a hard sentence to say. Listen to this. One of the ineffably lovely domestic sagas. Ineffably lovely is where I'm getting hung up. Mm-hmm. That's Let's that's see. reasonable. And I think you should leave this in. You should just no, cut out the pause. I'm a professional. <laughs> We're doing it live. Do it live. One of the ineffably lovely domestic sagas made by your Sirijo Ozu at the height of his mastery. The flavor of green tea over rice is a subtly piercing portrait of a marriage coming quietly undone. There's a brand new 4K restoration. What Did the Lady Forget? A 1937 feature directed by Ozu. A new interview with film scholar David Bordwell and a new documentary as well on the making of the film. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing the air quotes classic Hell Comes to Frogtown starring a Roddy Roddy Piper. Have you ever seen this film? I always heard about it, but I never saw it. I've never seen it, no. So as only in the 80s hybrid of post-apocalyptic sci-fi weirdness, cynical humor, and horror touches director Donald D. Jackson's Hell Comes to Frogtown. It's every bit as crazy as the title implies. There's a brand new 4K restoration from the 35mm Interpositive, an audio commentary with the cinematographer-director Donald Jackson, as well as writer-producer Randall Frakes, a video interview with Frakes, a video interview with Roddy Piper, which I'm assuming must be older, Unfortunately, an extended scene and some other stuff. Vinegar is also giving us Decorder, an underground hit from Germany's punk and new wave infused youth culture of the early 80s. Director Musha's Decoder blends arresting visuals, urban industrial aesthetics, science fiction, and moments of shocking violence, along with side-searing commentary on late 20th century consumerist culture. Co-stars punk icon Christine Felschernow and William S. Boros. It's a brand new 2K restoration from the 16mm camera negative, a brand new interview with writer-producer Klaus Mack, audio commentary with critic, author, and film programmer Kier Ladianis, and more. And of course, as usual, Vinegar Syndrome has a couple dirty movies coming out, so you can check that out. But we're not going to promote that because we are pure, wholesome, God-fearing people. <laughs> sure. The Jamie Lee Curtis film Love Letters is being released. And then finally, Matt, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week is Big Top Evil. Five disparate youths lost on a road trip to the location of the infamous Mangrove Slasher end up being pursued by a cadre of... What do you think? Big Top Evil. What are they being pursued Uh, by? uh, Clowns? Clowns. Circus people. There's alliteration there. So a cadre of cannibal clowns. Oh, very good. What should we be streaming this week? I'm going to recommend an indie film from, I guess, when was it, early 90s? What's Eating Gilbert Grape stars Johnny Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio. And one of his earliest film roles, but essentially Johnny Depp plays a young man who's stuck taking care of his his morbidly obese mother and um, mentally handicapped brother in the middle of middle America. And it's just uh, kind of a, a crutching situation that he just can't seem to get out of. I have never seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Really? It's available on Amazon Prime. You should watch it. It seems also unpleasant to me. Yeah, but there's lots of movies that are unpleasant. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not good. Fair enough. 
let's wrap this up. Let's. Well, we're not going to wrap up quite yet. You're still after about 20, 25 minutes of suffering to get through, people. <laughs> let's spend a few minutes talking about the first film in our French New Wave marathon, and that is the. Uh, I'm sorry, Les 400 Blows. Dis-moi, il paraît que tu as volé 10 000 francs à ta grand-mère. Elle m'avait invité, c'était le jour de son anniversaire. Et puis alors, comme elle est vieille, elle ne mange pas beaucoup. Et puis elle, elle garde tout son argent. Elle n'en aurait pas eu besoin. Elle allait bientôt mourir. Alors, comme je connaissais sa plante, j'étais lui fauché. Des ronds, quoi. Je savais bien qu'elle s'en apercevrait pas. La preuve, c'est qu'elle s'en est pas aperçue. Elle m'avait offert un, un beau bouquin ce jour-là. Alors, ma mère, elle avait l'habitude de fouiller dans mes poches. Et le soir, j'avais mis mon pantalon sur mon lit. Elle est sans doute venue. Puis elle a fauché les ronds. Parce que le lendemain, je ne les ai plus trouvés. Puis elle m'en a parlé. Alors j'étais bien forcée d'avouer que je les avais pris à ma grand-mère. Alors à ce moment-là, elle m'a confisqué le beau livre que ma grand-mère m'avait donné. Puis un jour, j'ai demandé parce que je voulais le lire. Et je me suis aperçue qu'elle l'avait revendu. We have five more minutes. Just wait. I'm just kidding. We do, though, play the international clips now because we do have a worldwide audience due to our, according to our numbers. So you're just going to have to suck it up, people. Yeah. Listen to some French. The 400 Blues. Francois Truffaut's seminal film, his first film, which is a slight autobiography, a story about himself, which I think is a little redundant of me to say. Jean-Pierre Luad plays Antoine Doinel, Matt. Antoine, excuse me. Yeah, Antoine is growing up in with a family who... They're a little too caught up in their own lives to really care for and provide the affection that Antoine needs... So he acts out. He has trouble in school. He steals, right? He leads a life of petty theft. He gets into trouble. And things basically unravel around him as he just has no support system, Matt. There's nobody he can rely on. His teachers are overly, I don't know, how would you say that? I don't know, cruel, right? They're not, just not very understanding and accepting. Mm-hmm. And he's just a kid trying to make it through his adolescence and not doing a terrible good job of it, unfortunately, for him. So, Matt, this is the beginning of our French New Wave Marathon. Do you feel a little bit better now about what we're about to do, or do you feel much, much worse? Uh, I don't know if I feel any better, but I don't feel worse about it. So here's the thing. This is one of those films that it seems to be that if you are into film, you have to have seen it. And we did this with some of the classics that we watched, one of our earliest marathons, right? Mm -hmm. And... And we'll be doing that again at the end of the year, too. Are we? Oh, fantastic. Remember our shame our shame marathon? Where oh, right. The stuff we hadn't seen. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. And there were some there were some highs and lows in that. Some ones that we didn't like. This, this I can appreciate on an aesthetic level, and I can appreciate what it does because it's a gorgeous film, but I didn't really connect with it. And I don't know if that's because I'm old. And I don't know, understand what youth is anymore or what, um, but I don't know. It just seemed like it had, I mean, this was basically to me, as soon as I started watching this, I'm like, this is going to be Catcher in the Rye in France. That's basically what this is going to be. And I, that's, that's basically what it was. It's a story of rebellion by, to, that, by today's standards is very, very tame. And it's almost kind of innocent. I, I don't know. I just didn't have a lot of connection with it. I think that's part of the issue, right? Because you almost have to try and watch it in mind of seeing this in 1959, mm-hmm. right? 
and how then we're really appreciating how revolutionary it was. It's like watching Vertigo. You know, you don't realize how what a landmark film something is because you've now been experienced everything that came after it. And I think that's part of the issue here. I think this thing is it's it's fantastic. I mean, there is stark beauty in this film coupled with sadness. I watched it thinking, and what I kept thinking about was that Fred Rogers quote. Remember from the documentary we watched last year? Mm-hmm. And I'm I, I'm butchering the quote, but he basically says like, all the actions, everything we do, is is due to love or the lack there of it, right? And I think that's exactly what's happening here with Antoine. His life is out of control, and there's nothing he can do about it. And I can't imagine being this kid. What is he, 12 in this? Uh, is he Daniel? I thought he was like 13 or 14 in what? this. Okay. So, but he's a child in this thing, getting no support and no care from anybody mm-hmm. in his life. And it just, I can't imagine what that must feel like. And let's keep in mind, too, this is also, we're not that far removed from World War II. Right. So, now granted, you don't get any shots of France being rebuilt. But in fact, there are some absolutely breathtaking shots in this thing. And I, especially even with the opening, right? As we're going through the streets and we keep getting peaks of the Eiffel Tower in the background mm-hmm. once we, cro- you know, we get past certain buildings as we're peering through the cityscape. But you really feel Antoine's just total lack of control in his life. And all he's trying to do is, is to kind of find who he is and what he's really what all he's doing really is pinballing back and forth through all of these events now granted a lot of them are of his own making but he has nothing to guide him to do what, what might be the, the appropriate thing and i think one of the key things to this for me matt is it's not watered down with hope right it's very raw and emotional this does not really it's not end on a high note right. even in the he talks about he's never seen the beach and he finally gets there and then how Truffaut films, finishes a film where we zoom in and he turns and looks at the camera. He's finally got to do what he what he want, got to be where he wanted to be, see what he wanted to see, and it ends with him looking in his eyes and he's still truly lost. Right. And uh, this thing really, I was just really blown away by this. It really moved me. But for you, not so much. Huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just being cynical. I can appreciate it from an aesthetic standpoint. I can appreciate what he's trying to say, but again, like I said, it just didn't, it didn't move me. It didn't, it didn't move me the way it moves you, obviously, and that's okay, Chris. No, it's, it's not okay. <laughs> you will understand. You will feel what I feel. Damn so it. there were four other films that Truffaut. I didn't see. Here's how, how you know my ignorance. He made four other films with this character at different stages of his life after the 400 blows as well. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. And also, I, I found out some interesting information while doing some research for the for the show. Now, the English title is a literal translation from the French, but it doesn't capture what the title actually means. Right. So it's, what is that? Faire le quatre sens coups, and it means, actually, the French translation it means to raise hell. Okay. The 400 Blows kind of has a more, it's a little translation, so you're, 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 you're thinking of, since I'd never seen it, I thought it was all these different things that impacted him as a child. Right. Which I guess is right. still accurate. Right. But To Raise Hell, I think, is a much more interesting title. Another thing, too, I caught on, too, after we do some research, is that Truffaut never knew who his real father was. And... There is a scene in, in the classroom, I actually read this in the essay on the Criterion edition, 
where he had the English class and he has to repeat the phrase, you know, where is the father? It's really just hit me in the gut after I, I read that, after watching the film, like, wow. Wow. Man, he really is trying to work through some stuff with this film. So, Matt, Forner and Blows gets an A from me. I'm going to give it a B plus. I guess because I'm a hack. I don't know what to tell you, Chris. <laughs> not enough boobs and explosions for you? Yeah, you know that's not even true. But I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's good. And maybe, and maybe this will age well for me and maybe I'll end up liking more of what's to come. We'll see. You know, it's not exactly like how pissed off I was after watching Gone with the Wind. That, that movie made me angry on so many levels. <laughs> oh, what's a little light racism? We've got a chance. Uh, if you've seen the 400 blows, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. All right, Matt, I've moved you over an inch. You have a little bit. All Don't right. get cocky here, Chris. I will. That musical thing is over, over my dead body. Okay. From my cold dead hands. Have you seen singing in the rain? No, I don't think I actually have. All right. So that's what I would ask. Cause I felt the same way you did before I saw singing in the rain. Okay. In fact, Dave, former co-host of the show, Dave, was the same way. And, and I, on, on, I got him to go see a screening of Singing in the Rain in Hartford. And he was like, wow. He had turned the corner. But is, that just, is it just because of Singing in the Rain or did he like, like other musicals because of it? No, no. It was just Singing in the Rain. <laughs> it was the same with me. I had, I had never wanted to watch a musical. You, I, no way. And I watched that thing and I'm like, this is awesome. All right. So the next film in our marathon, Matt, is going to be Breathless. Okay. I own that one. That was a blind buy. So don't forget, folks, there is, I think we have two videos in my great unwatched series where I review films <laughs> that I bought and never got around to watching. And uh, Breathless is a, will be a twofer. It'll be a special in-show, great unwatched, and we'll discuss it too. Very nice. So who's excited for that? I'm seeing a lot of hands raising right now. I see Billy and Timmy and Janet and Susan. I see, okay. That's a romper room pull there for the kids at home. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Tell me your thoughts about the 400 blows. Matt, let's move on and let's tackle all the crazy news that's been happening out there in Tinseltown. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. That is a clip from the sci-fi classic, The Matrix. If you didn't hear the big news, Matt, Lana Wachowski has signed a deal. Carrie Ann Moss, Kahanu Reeves, everybody's coming back, and we are getting a fourth Matrix film. How is that going to work? So the second and third films were <laughs> great disappointments. 
Correct. Huge, huge disappointments. Yeah. And don't they kind of dissipate, disappear? I don't know if die is the right way to say it, right? In the final film, isn't uh well I don't know Trinity if I'm spoiler, doing like a spoiler for a 20-year-old film, but I I mean I I haven't watched those in those last two films in forever, but I distinctly remember Neo's lifeless body being dragged away by the, the machines. Um after he did whatever confusing crap he had to do at the end. So are you excited about this? I don't know if I'm excited about it. Probably not. I'm curious. I'm extremely curious to see what they're, what they can do. While we were sitting there planning this, cause I knew we were going to talk about this. Do you think, is this like, is Keanu Reeves? Like, is this like John Travolta again? Is this like his John Travolta moment where he's coming back around? Like he's just in everything all of a sudden, like John Wick just, was like his Pulp Fiction or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he ever really disappeared like Travolta did. Mm. Like his career was, you know, he was doing talking baby movies for a while. <laughs> right? He never hit that point. Well, he was doing crappy rom coms. I mean, what like uh, or you know dra- dramas like uh, Time Traveler's Wife and, and and stuff like that and Devil's Advocate. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Devil's uh, Absentee <laughs> <laughs> It's not as good I as my other. I can't even take I can't even take that movie seriously because of Al Pacino in it and his terrible, terrible Southern accent. It's so bad. Uh, Devil's Advocate. Yeah, but see now he's got you know the John Wick films. He's mm-hmm. got Bill and Ted coming out. He's got another Matrix coming out. I don't know. It just seems weird that he's kind of all of a sudden all over the place. But good for him. Anyway, I digress. I don't know. I'm not super excited. I mean, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they're going to go with this whole thing. And maybe if we can somehow redeem the second and third film. I wonder, too, if they're going to say it's going to be some kind of retcon where the second and third films didn't happen or something. Or, I mean, how do you do? Do you you Well, there's a deeper level of the Matrix that we didn't know about? Well, so I know what I recall from, again, I haven't seen them in forever, is that the the one he shows up like it's a recurring thing. Like it basically like they never actually beat the machines. It's just that because some people can't be kept in the matrix, they allow some people to wake up and they have this, this whole idea of the one uh, to kind of perpetuate the cycle. So maybe there's going to be another one or maybe he never really died. Like maybe he exists solely in the matrix. Now I really don't know. We'll find out together. Yeah. Although it's interesting to hear that little clip you played and just knowing that the Wachowskis are trans women, how mm-hmm. that just kind of all kind of plays what they were saying into that. It was not something I would have picked up on many, many years ago. That's interesting. That's a good point. And that too, I, I wonder if they'll address the whole, you know, that the whole segment of the population has adopted the red pill for a much more nefarious <laughs> yeah, right? manner. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why, I wonder why Lily's not involved. I never really got into that at this point. I can't figure out why she's not involved. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Mm-hmm. What else is going on? I know there's a couple, there's one huge thing you're going to want to talk about. Yeah. So the Marvel Sony deal fell through. And this is incredibly upsetting to me. You don't think so, it's just a negotiating tactic? I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know what? It could be. It very well could be. From what I understand, Sony quite unreasonably came back to them and said, came to Disney and said, we want the, we want the, you know, no, the other way around, Disney wants 50%. Yeah, they want, so really what Disney's deal is they want 50% of the profit and they want to start set sharing 
50% of the production cost. As it is right now, they get 5% of the profit and they some and they foot like 80 to 90% of the production cost, if not all of it. And they're looking to renegotiate that. And Sony said, no, we're good with the, the current arrangement. So uh, you get 5% and pay for everything. So I didn't realize that Marvel, I thought Sony was paying for the production costs and Marvel is handling more distribution stuff. No, from what I understand, yeah, from what I understand, um, Marvel is footing or Disney's footing the the bulk of the production bill. I did not realize that. From what I, even if that's the case, they've made how much money off of Marvel? I think if they can get to like a seventy thirty, right, jam, where right. Mar- Marvel gets thirty percent or Disney gets thirty percent. I, ho- I hope they'll come. They'll, they'll, that'd be acceptable to them. Here's yeah. the thing. So we're honest with ourselves. I think is it fair to say that the two best Spider-Man films are Sony joints? We're talking Spider Verse and then Spider-Man Two. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I, it, which is weird to say because. Uh, well, taking Spider-Verse completely out of the picture because that's just fantastic. The live-action Spider-Man 2 is, I guess, somehow greater than the sum of its parts because Holland's way better as Peter Parker and, and Spider-Man. He's, like, just head and shoulders better uh, an actor. I just don't know. But I guess overall, it's it's a less... It still doesn't quite hold up to Spider-Man 2. I think it's Spider-Man 2 is a more substantial film. Than either of the Marvel Spider-Man, the Disney Spider-Man movies, which, but I think the Disney. Well, no, I think Raimi really nails who Spider-Man is in that film. Though I still think maybe the best on-screen adaptation is Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to aesthetics, right, and big rollicking fun, yep, those Marvel films, those Disney films, are are more entertaining. I think. Right, and so I guess the problem is, is that. Sony has some has obviously produced some real high highs, but they've produced some bad stuff. And like, I'm just really concerned that they don't know. They haven't been someone with any confidence that they know what the hell they're doing. Cause Venom is bad. Spider-Man three was bad. The amazing Spider-Man's were not good. So like, I don't, I don't know. I, they have do not fill me with any kind of confidence that they can actually produce something worthwhile. That's what I'm nervous about, is that I think they're on a sugar high with Venom. That they did really well financially. I think much better than they anticipated. And I think, well, let's replicate that, right? We can bring the two of them together. We can actually have Spider-Man and Venom face off. It'll mm-hmm. be awesome. And it, right. it it won't be. Right. No, which is too bad, because Holland's tied in for, like, two more movies. And, like, he doesn't... He's not in the MCU anymore. Which will be interesting to see if he can walk away. Like, if he's like, this isn't what I signed up for, kind of thing. I don't know. I yeah. I just I get where Sony's coming from. I just don't trust them to deliver an entertaining product at this point. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's really the big problem. And there's who knows? Maybe that Morbius film is going to be absolutely awesome. I don't know if <laughs> no. anybody believes that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I mean, the one silver lining about all this, uh, I guess. Yeah, the really the one because Venom is you know as much as like Tom Hardy, that was not good is that they somehow can, this will allow them to eat more easily bring in two breakout characters from Spider-Verse and, and Miles Morales and, and Spider-Woman Gwen Stacy. I mean, that would be cool. 
But you're also going to have a problem, too, if you incorporate Venom. Is now Venom in this version, this Sony universe, is an anti-hero. Right. And that's not who he was originally, right? He was right. a bad guy. Yeah, he And was now you're not going to get guy. that face off. We're going to get a Spider-Man Venom, like, team-up movie. And it's just... Ugh. It'll be basically... It'll basically be... Uh, Superman versus Batman, you know, the the obligatory superhero first fight kind of thing. Maybe that's what they'll try and do with Carnage. Maybe. To fight the greater evil. And that's what's going to stink too, is now we really, we're not going to have, uh, it's just the fact that it's not even Spider Venom, not even Spider-Man related still drives me crazy, but. Right. I don't know. All I'm going to say, mom, when mom and dad are fighting, we all lose. And I feel like that's where we are right now. So I'm hoping that they're able to work this out. They come up with an agreeable just percentage to split this thing and then we're we're, we're gonna continue to get spidey into the uh, mcu proper yeah hopefully yeah you know what we're probably saying the sky is falling right now when we probably nerds just need to calm down yeah see the chill is really what it comes that's down to. that's exactly right and then, you know what and if it happens and if it doesn't work out and they absolutely tank i mean that'll be a shame but then maybe that's finally what sony needs to do to sell the rights back who knows I'm, part of me was wondering if after the deal fell through, Disney's like, all right, well, how much would it cost to buy Sony? <laughs> yeah, I know. If they approach Sony Japan because they're like, we know you guys are in desperate need of money and you want to sell Sony America. So let's do it. Let's mm. make it work. All right. Then my final one is they announced the title, Matt, for Bomb 25. Okay. And it is No Time to Die. Did you see the announcement at all? Uh, no, I didn't see the announcement. I read some of the articles on it, though. You should check it out. It's got a very 60s kind of Saul Bass feel to it, the way they uh, reveal it. And I found it, I really, really enjoyed it. No Time to Die, it, I think as a title itself, is just okay. Mm-hmm. But I like the, uh, as I said, that 60s Saul Bass feel to the announcement. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen next. I'm wondering, so Kerry, if you don't know, Kerry Fukunaga is, is directing this. He's also the, the guy responsible, basically, right, for the first season of True Detective. Yep. And uh, he directed, I should say, I think, that whole thing, right? And um, we'll see. I'm, I'm confident that we will write the ship. It is weird, too. Was it Matt Singer? I can't remember. But they uh, tweeted out. You know how odd it is with the Bond franchise. Like you have uh, Sam Mendes, who does an absolute. I think he actually he said like uh, an absolute banger with Skyfall, and an, and a total whiff with Spectre, and how delicate it is to get that Bond formula kind of exactly right. But I'm feeling confident about this film, and if it has these kind of '60s throwback feel to it, then I'm absolutely gonna love that. And then it made me think, well, what are they going to do after this film, right? So from what we, I think generally what we understand is that in this next movie, Bond is, he's retired and there's a new 007. Though they do refer to him as 007 in in this announcement today or yesterday. So how does it end? If he's in retirement as it is, is he, do they do another reboot? And then I'm thinking, what if they actually did like Tarantino's film where it's set in this fifties or sixties and he's on a mission and you shoot it in black and white, you know, uh, or something. I, they'd never do it in black and white, but what if they kind of did it just a one-off, you know, kind of cleanse the palette, classic sixties spy film. And then they come back with a new bond and kind of just pick up where everything left off. 
Yeah, that would be interesting. I guess I'd be open to it. I, I, I would be curious to see how that would all play out. I don't know if they'll do it. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I would really like that instead of another reboot. Right. Or do they, do they just ignore what's going to happen? Because I really feel like there's going to be some kind of final chapter for the Craig Bond. Mm-hmm. If he's coming out of retirement. I don't know. We'll see what they call Or maybe they just ignore that fact or they de-age him or something. Who knows? <laughs> for the follow-up to this. Or they just don't make any James Bond movies ever again. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe, maybe it needs to take a little break. A little, well, that's the marriage. problem is we're having too long a break between films it is. We right. should get back to the way it used to be. Where you have, well, I think when they used to do it, it was almost one every year. But right. now they should do one every two years. We should get a Bond film. We shouldn't be right. waiting five years at a clip. It's absolutely crazy. And also, do that expanded universe I want to do. Do a <laughs> Felix Leiter film, right? Do a bunch of stuff. I want a new... I love Jeffrey Wright, but I want like a, a U.S. James Bond equivalent with Felix Leiter. Have a whole new franchise with that. All right. Are you at all excited for No Time to Die? Not really. I mean, I'm not... I mean, it's no secret. I'm not a huge Bond fan like you are. Um I enjoy them, but I'm not like all into the lore and everything like that. I think I've seen like a, I don't really like the Roger Moore films, so I barely watched any of them kind of thing. And I've only seen the kind of absolutely must watch ones of the uh, of the Connery era. So it's okay. Some of the moral ones are solid. Yeah. I should give them a shot. I got to do something for the show with a new Bond film. I'm such a big fan. I got to come up with something to do for it. Some kind of video thing or ranking of them all. or But not a typical ranking. I don't know. We got to come up with something good. Mm-hmm. Anything else? B23 is this weekend. So we should be seeing a lot more coming from uh, Star Wars and Disney Plus stuff. So that'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. I don't know what D23 is. It's like uh, Disney's, like it's like Disney's focused, uh, like a Disney Comic Con, basically. It's basically all Disney stuff on okay. property. They have a big expo in California, so it'll have like stuff about Pixar, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars. Um, yeah. So since they've kind of got all that stuff, there will be should be seeing quite a different, but new things. You know. Did you hear too that Disney's working with the cable companies to make sh- to really clamp down on password sharing for the Disney? Oh Disney? really? Oh really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know who would do such a thing. You know, I mean, yeah, that's wrong. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. I want to see the Mandalorian though. I think I think I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I know. I do want to see that too. I've I've said it though. I mean, if it's at seven bucks a month, you know what? I'm a, you know, I'm adult, an adult with a white collar job. I can afford seven dollars <laughs> a month. It's not going to be that make or break for me, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if you heard it too. They announced today for Mortal Kombat 11. They have, they have a whole new, they have a new game pack coming out with I think five or six new characters. But okay. there were three of them that I, I found were interesting. Did you see this okay. at all? No, I did not. Spawn is one of them. Oh, okay, interesting. The Joker. Interesting. Okay. And then my personal favorite. The T-800. Really? <laughs> Interesting. Schwarzenegger Terminator and like old Arnold. Like, so oh, it's not like, the, it's not like the endo- endoskeleton or anything like no, that? No, no. It's actually him. Well, he's got the red eye, you know, with the, okay. some of the face remo- revealed. Okay. I think that uh, I'm sure at some point he'll be the exoskeleton. It'll be the, the, the exoskeleton Terminator during the fight, maybe. Now I'm actually seriously considering 
They did Jason in one of them too, I think, a while back. But oh, did they? having Arnold in there, I think, is a. I don't know. I may have to break down. I haven't bought a Mortal Kombat game, and I don't know how long. It wasn't that long ago. It was probably well. I guess it was a long time ago. It was back when you lived here, because I remember playing playing you at your old apartment at your old place. Oh wow! So that's that's pro- that's like at least six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I love your unabashed love for arnie where suddenly you would just consider buying this game because you love him so much i do i don't know what i'm not even sure when that happened but it yeah i don't know what it is when that actually kicked in mm-hmm. all right so that's your uh big news that's going on right now would love to hear thoughts on any of those little items shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com did you finish uh stranger things season three i did i did As i did quite I. put it What'd you think? I thought it was fantastic. This is my favorite season, I think, so far. Though I'm a little really? down on the ending. Okay. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I think that that one character's death is total BS. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a little teaser at the end too, right? Yep. So that I think that uh, reveals that that individual may not actually indeed have passed. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I think it's a pretty safe bet, like in any science fiction film or genre film in general. If you don't see a body, question any death. Exactly, because you see other people get obliterated, but you don't see this one character. Right. Right? That's the one you don't see. So yep. I think we're going to be okay on that one. Though I will admit, when it happened, I was like, oh, no. You could see it coming, too. Yeah. You, know, you knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, but, God, I mean, no, God, no. No, no, no. So it had the emotional impact that they were going for, the Duffer Brothers right. were going for with me. So, Well, I mean, and don't forget, I mean, in the first season – you know, for all intents and purposes, people were thought that Eleven was dead. So, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So that was rock solid. That was a really good season. And uh, I think I'm three episodes in on Mine Hunter season two, and that has just been fantastic. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't had the chance. Uh, they they have a five year five season bible. Really? I hope they get to get through all five seasons. Okay. No, Netflix will cancel it after three. <laughs> but it is. Really, really good this season. The right. first two episodes have been really good. The third one was fantastic. And I hear it just keeps getting better from there. So, Has our boy showed up yet? They've talked about him. They haven't gone to see him yet, I don't believe. Did they do okay. that episode? I can't remember. So, well, yeah, he shows up in the beginning of one of... Uh, yeah, anyway, just... Just watch it. You got to watch it, yeah. All right. Coming up next week on the big show, Matt, we're doing the horror film Ready or Not, which I am very excited about. Yeah. It has a sparkling 90% in Rotten Tomatoes, so hopefully that will carry over in our discussion. And our French New Wave Marathon continues, as we said, with Breathless and more. Gosh, that's fun. Check us out at thefirstrun.com. Go over to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. We would love that. And Matt, that's it. So why don't we go ahead and take an extended break, and we will see you all soon. Uh-huh.